0: In response to Sister Linda K. Burton's invitation at April's General Conference, many of you have been involved in thoughtful and generous acts of charity focused on meeting the needs of refugees in your local area. From simple one-on-one efforts to community-wide efforts programs, those acts are the result of love. As you have shared your time, talents, and resources, your and the refugees' hearts have been lightened. The building of hope and faith and even greater love between receiver and giver are inevitable results of true charity. The prophet Moroni tells us that charity is an essential characteristic of those who will live with Heavenly Father in the celestial kingdom. He writes, Except ye have charity, ye can in no wise be saved in the kingdom of God. Of course, Jesus Christ is a perfect embodiment of charity. His premortal offering to be our Savior, His interactions throughout His mortal life, His supernal gift of the Atonement, and His continual efforts to bring us back to our Heavenly Father are the ultimate expressions of charity. He operates with a singular focus, love for His Father expressed through His love for each of us. When asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One of the most significant ways we could develop and demonstrate love for our neighbor is through being generous in our thoughts and words. Some years ago, a cherished friend noted, the greatest form of charity may be to withhold judgment. That is still true today. Today. Recently, as three-year-old Alyssa watched a movie with her siblings, she remarked with a puzzled expression, Mom, that chicken is weird. Her mother looked at the screen and responded with a smile, Honey, that is a peacock. <laughs> like that unknowing three-year-old, we sometimes look at others with an incomplete or inaccurate understanding. We may focus on the differences and perceive flaws in those around us where our Heavenly Father sees His children created in His eternal image with magnificent and glorious potential. President James E. Faust is remembered to have said, The older I get, the less judgmental I become. That reminds me of the Apostle Paul's observation. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became older, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. When we see our own imperfections more clearly, we are less inclined to view others through a glass darkly. We want to use the light of the gospel to see others as a Savior does, with compassion, hope, and charity. The day will come when we will have a complete understanding of others' hearts, and we'll be grateful to have mercy extended to us just as we extended charitable thoughts and words to others during this life. Some years ago, I went canoeing with a group of young women. The deep blue lakes surrounded by green, thickly forested hills and rocky cliffs were breathtakingly beautiful. The water sparkled on our paddles as we dipped them into the clear water, and the sun shone warmly while we moved smoothly across the lake. However, cl- clouds soon darkened the sky, and a stiff wind began to blow. To make any progress at all, we had to dig deeply into the water, paddling without pausing between strokes. After a few grueling hours of backbreaking work, We finally turned the corner on the large lake and discovered to our amazement and delight that the wind was blowing in the direction we wanted to go. Quickly, we took advantage of this gift. We pulled out a small tarp, tied two of its corners to paddle handles, and the other corners to my husband's feet, which he stretched out over the gunwales of the canoe. The wind billowed the improvised sail, and we were off. When the young women in the other canoes saw how we moved along the water with ease, They quickly improvised sails of their own. Our hearts were light with laughter and relief, grateful for the respite from the challenges of the day. How like that glorious wind can be the sincere compliment of a friend, the cheerful greeting of a parent, the approving nod of a sibling, or the helpful smile of a co-worker or classmate, all supplying a fresh wind in our sails as we battle the challenges of life. President Thomas S. Monson put it this way, We can't direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. For maximum happiness, peace, and contentment, may we choose a positive attitude. Words have surprising power, both to build up and to tear down. We can all probably remember negative words that brought us low and other words spoken with love that made our spirits soar. Choosing to say only that which is positive about— and to others, lifts and strengthens those around us and helps others follow in the Savior's way. As a young primary girl, I worked diligently to cross-stitch a simple saying which read, I will bring the light of the gospel into my home. One weekday afternoon, as we girls pulled our needles up and down through the fabric, our teacher told us the story of a girl who lived on a hill on one side of a valley. Each late afternoon, she noticed on the hill on the opposite side of the valley a house that had shining golden windows. Her own home was small and somewhat shabby, and the girl dreamed of living in that beautiful house with the windows of gold. One day, the girl was given permission to ride her bike across the valley. She eagerly rode until she reached the house with the golden windows that she had admired for so long. But when she dismounted from her bike, she saw that the house was abandoned and dilapidated, with tall weeds in the yard and windows that were plain and dirty. Sadly, the girl turned her face toward home. To her surprise, she saw a house with shining golden windows on the hill across the valley and soon realized it was her very own home. Sometimes, like this young girl, we look at what others might have or be and feel we are less in comparison. We become focused on the Pinterest or Instagram versions of life or caught up in our schools or workplaces' preoccupation with competition. However, when we take a moment to count our many blessings, we see with a truer perspective and recognize the goodness of God to all of His children. Whether we are eight or 108, we can bring the light of the gospel into our own environment be it a high-rise apartment in Manhattan, a stilt house in Malaysia, or a yurt in Mongolia. We can determine to look for the good in others and in the circumstances around us. Young and not-so-young women everywhere can demonstrate charity as they choose to use words that build confidence and faith in others. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland told of a young man who was the brunt of his peers teasing during his school years. Some years later, he moved away, joined the military, received an education, and became active in the Church. This period of his life was marked with wonderfully successful experiences. After several years, he returned to his hometown. However, the people refused to acknowledge his growth and improvement. To them, he was still just old so-and-so, and they treated him that way. Eventually, this good man faded away to a shadow of his former successful self, without being able to use his marvelously developed talents to bless those who derided and rejected him once again. What a loss, both for him and the community! The Apostle Peter taught, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Fervent charity, meaning wholehearted, is demonstrated by forgetting the mistakes and stumblings of another, rather than harboring grudges or reminding ourselves and others of imperfections in the past. Our obligation and privilege is to embrace improvement in everyone as we strive to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a thrill it is to see light in the eyes of someone who has come to understand the Atonement of Jesus Christ and is making real changes in his or her life. Missionaries who have experienced the joy of seeing a convert enter the waters of baptism and then enter the doors of the temple are witnesses of the blessing of allowing and encouraging others to change. Members who welcome converts who might have been considered unlikely candidates for the kingdom find great satisfaction in helping them feel the love of the Lord. The great beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the reality of eternal progression. We are not only allowed to change for the better, but encouraged and even commanded to continue in the pursuit of improvement and ultimately perfection. President Thomas S. Monson counseled, In a hundred small ways, all of you wear the mantle of charity. Rather than being judgmental or critical of one another, may we have the pure love of Christ for our fellow travelers in this journey through life. May we recognize that each one is doing her or his best to deal with the challenges which come their way, and may we strive to do our best to help out. Charity, in positive terms, is patient, kind, and content. Charity puts others first, is humble, exercises self-control, looks for good in others, and rejoices when someone does well. As sisters and brothers in Zion, will we commit to all work together, to do whatsoever is gentle and human, to cheer and to bless in the Savior's name? Can we, with love and high hopes, look for and embrace the beauties in others, allowing and encouraging progress? Can we rejoice in the compliments of others while continuing to work towards our own improvement? Yes, we can bring the light of the gospel into our homes, schools, and workplaces if we look for and share positive things about others And let the less-than-perfect fade away. What gratitude fills my heart when I think of the repentance that our Savior Jesus Christ has made possible for all of us who have inevitably sinned in this imperfect and sometimes difficult world. I bear my witness that as we follow His perfect example, we can receive the gift of charity, which will bring us great joy in this life and the promised blessing of eternal life with our Father in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Thank you for those excuse me, for those uh, wonderful and inspiring messages and thank you for this beautiful music by these uh, amazing young sisters. I'm sure you couldn't see the tears shed by Pres Monson during this last hymn. But they were there. He loves you, sisters. He loves you. And what a message this music was. My dear sisters, dear friends, how blessed we are to assemble again in this worldwide conference under the direction and leadership of our dear Prophet and President Thomas S. Monson. President, we love you. We sustain you. And we know you will love the Sisters of the Church. I love attending this wonderful session of General Conference devoted to the Sisters of the Church. Sisters, when I see you, I cannot help but think of the women who have been so influential in my life, my grandmother and mother, who were the first to accept the invitation to come and see what the Church is all about. There's my beloved wife, Harriet, with whom I fell in love the first time I saw her. There's Harriet's mother, who joined the Church not long after losing her husband to cancer. Then my sister, my daughter, my granddaughter, and my great-granddaughter. All of these individuals have been refining influences for me. They truly bring sunshine into my life. They inspire me to become a better man and a more sensitive Church leader. How different my life would be without them. Perhaps what humbles me most is to know that the same influence is replicated millions of times throughout the Church through the abilities, talents, intelligence, and testimony of women of faith like you. Now, some of you might not feel worthy of such high praise. You might think you are too insignificant to have a meaningful meaningful influence on others. Perhaps you don't even consider yourself a woman of faith because you sometimes struggle with doubt or fear. Today I wish to speak to anyone who has ever felt this way. And that probably includes all of us at one time or another. I wish to speak of faith, what it is, what it can and cannot do, and what we must do to activate the power of faith in our lives. Faith is a strong conviction about something we believe, a conviction so strong that it moves us to do things that we otherwise might not do. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. While this makes sense to believing people, it is often confusing to non-believers. They shake their heads and ask, how can anyone be certain of what they cannot see? To them, this is evidence of the irrationality of religion. What they fail to understand is that there are more ways to see than with our eyes, more ways to feel than with our hands, more ways to hear than with our ears. It is something like the experience of a young girl who was walking with her grandmother. The song of the birds was glorious to the little girl, and she pointed out every sound to her grandmother. Do you hear that? The little girl asked again and again. But her grandmother was hard of hearing and could not make out the sounds. Finally, the grandmother knelt down and said, I'm sorry, dear. Grandma doesn't hear so well. Exasperated, the little girl took her grandmother's face in her hands, looked intently into her eyes, and said, Grandma, listen harder! <laughs> there are lessons in this story for both the believer and the believer. Just because we can't hear something doesn't mean there is nothing to hear. Two people can listen to the same message or read the same scripture, and one might feel the witness of the Spirit while the other doesn't. On the other hand, in our efforts to help our loved ones experience the voice of the Spirit and the vast, eternal, and profound beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling them to listen harder may not be the most helpful way. Perhaps better advice for anyone who wants to increase faith is to listen differently. The Apostle Paul encouraged us to seek the voice that speaks to our spirit, not just to our ears. He taught, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Or perhaps we should consider the words of Saint Exupery's little prince, who said, One sees clearly only with the heart. Anything essential is invisible to the eyes. Sometimes it's not easy to develop faith in spiritual things while living in a physical world. But it is worth the effort because the power of faith in our lives can be profound. The scriptures teach us that through faith the worlds were framed. Waters were parted, dead were raised, rivers and mountains moved from their course. Yet some might ask, if faith is so powerful, why can't I receive an answer to a heartfelt prayer? I don't need a sea to part or a mountain to move. I just need my illness to go away, or my parents to forgive each other, or an eternal companion to appear at my doorstep with a bouquet of flowers in one hand and an engaging ring in the other. (laughs) Why can't my faith accomplish that? Faith is powerful, and often it does result in miracles. But no matter how much faith we have, there are two things faith cannot do. For one, it cannot violate another person's agency. One woman prayed for years that her wayward daughter would return to the fold of Christ and felt discouraged that her prayers had seemingly gone unanswered. This was especially painful when she heard stories of other prodigal children who had repented of their ways. The problem was not a lack of prayers or a shortage of faith. She only needed to understand that, as painful as it might be for our Father in Heaven, He will not force anyone to choose the path of righteousness. God did not force His own children to follow Him in the premortal world. How much less will He force us now as we journey through this mortal life? God will invite, persuade. God will reach out tirelessly with love and inspiration and encouragement. But God will never compel. That would undermine His great plan for our eternal growth. The second thing faith cannot do is force our will upon God. We cannot force God to comply with our desires, no matter how right we think we are or how sincerely we pray. Consider the experience of Paul, who pleaded with the Lord multiple times for relief from a personal trial, what he called a thorn in the flesh. But that was not God's will. Eventually. Paul realized that his trial was a blessing, and he thanked God for not answering his prayers the way he had hoped. No, the purpose of faith is not to change God's will, but to empower us to act on God's will. Faith is trust, trust that God sees what we cannot and that He knows what we do not. Sometimes trusting our own vision and judgment is not enough. I learned this as an airline pilot on days when I had to fly into thick fog or clouds and could see only a few feet ahead. I had to rely on the instruments and that told me where I was and where I was headed. I had to listen to the voice of air traffic control. I had to follow the guidance of someone with more accurate information than I had, someone who I could not see but whom I had learned to trust, someone who could see what I could not. I had to trust and act accordingly to arrive safely at my destination. Faith means that we trust not only in God's wisdom, but that we trust also in His love. It means trusting that God loves us perfectly that everything He does, every blessing He gives, and every blessing He for a time withholds is for our eternal happiness. With this kind of faith, though we may not understand why certain things happen or why certain prayers go unanswered, we can know that in the end, everything will make sense. All things will work together for good to them that love God. All will be made right. All will be well. We can be certain that answers will come, and we may be confident that not only we will be content with the answers— We will be overwhelmed by the grace, mercy, generosity, and love of our Heavenly Father for us, His children. Until then, we walk by whatever faith we have, seeking always to increase our faith. Sometimes this is not an easy quest. Those who are impatient, uncommitted, or careless may find faith to be elusive. Those who are easily discouraged or distracted may hardly experience it. Faith comes to the humble, the diligent, the enduring. It comes to those who pay the price of faithfulness. This truth is illustrated in the experience of two young missionaries serving in Europe in an area where there were few convert baptisms. I suppose it would have been understandable for them to think that what they did wouldn't make much of a difference at all. But these two missionaries had faith, and they were committed they were committed to work. They had the attitude that if no one listened to their message, it would not be because they had not given their best effort. One day, they had the feeling to approach the residence of a well-kept four-story apartment building. They started on the first floor, and knocked on each door, presenting their saving message of Jesus Christ and the restoration of His Church. No one on the first floor would listen to them. How easy it would have been to say, we tried, let's stop right here, let's go and try another building. But these two missionaries had faith, and they were willing to work. And so they knocked on every door on the second floor. Again, no one would listen. The third floor was the same, and so was the fourth. That is, until they knocked on the last door of the fourth floor. When that door opened, a young girl smiled at them and asked them to wait while she spoke with her mother. Her mother was only 36 years old, had recently lost her husband, and she was in no mood to talk with Mormon missionaries. So he told her daughter to send them away. But the daughter pleaded with her. These young men were so nice, she said. and it would only take a few minutes. So, reluctantly, the mother agreed. The missionaries delivered their message and handed a book to the mother to read, the Book of Mormon. After they left, the mother decided she would at least read a few pages. Well, she finished the entire book within a few days. Not long after this wonderful single-parent family entered the waters of baptism, when the small family attended their local branch in Frankfurt, Germany, a young deacon noticed the beauty of one of the daughters and thought to himself, these missionaries are doing a great job. (laughs) Well, that young Deacon's name was Dieter Uchtdorf. (laughs) And the charming young woman, the one who had pleaded with her mother to listen to the missionaries, has the beautiful name of Harriet. She is loved by all who meet her as she accompanies me in my travels. She has blessed the lives of many people through her love for the gospel and her sparkling personality. She truly is the sunshine of my life. How often have I lifted my heart in gratitude for the two missionaries who did not stop at the first floor. How often my heart reaches out in appreciation for their faith and work. How often have I given thanks that they kept going even to the fourth floor, last door. In our search for enduring faith, in our quest to connect with God and His purposes, let us remember the Lord's promise. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Will we give up after knocking on a door or two, a floor or two? Or will we keep seeking until we have reached the fourth floor, last door? God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. But that reward is not usually behind the first door, so we need to keep knocking. Sisters, don't give up. Seek God with all your heart, exercise faith, walk in righteousness. I promise that if you will do this, even until the fourth floor, last door, you will receive the answers, the knowledge you seek. You will find faith, and one day you will be filled with light that grows brighter and brighter until the perfect day. My beloved sisters in Christ, God is real. He lives. He loves you. He knows you. He understands you. He knows the silent pleadings of your heart. He has not abandoned you. He will not forsake you. It is my testimony and apostolic blessing to each one of you that you will feel in your heart and mind this sublime truth for yourselves. Live in faith, dear friends, dear sisters, and the Lord our God will increase you a thousand times and bless you as He has promised. I leave you my faith, my conviction, and my certain and unshakable witness that this is the work of God, in the sacred name of our beloved Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
2: What a joy it is to be gathered in this conference center with the girls, young women, and women of the Church. We are also very aware that there are thousands of other groups of sisters gathered throughout the world watching these proceedings and I'm grateful for the opportunity and means that allow us to join together in unity and purpose this evening. In October 2006, President Gordon B. Hinckley gave a talk entitled Rise Up, O Men of God, named after a hymn written in 1911. It was a call to action for the men of the Church to rise up and improve themselves. That talk has echoed in my mind as I have prayed to know what to share with you. Sisters, we live in perilous times. The conditions of our day should not be a surprise to us. They have been foretold for millennia as a warning and admonition so that we can be prepared. The eighth chapter of Mormon gives a disconcertingly accurate description of the conditions of our day. In this chapter, Moroni says he has seen our day, and it includes wars and rumors of war, great pollutions, murders, robbing, and people who tell us that there is no right or wrong in God's eyes. He describes people who are filled with pride, caught up in the wearing of expensive clothing, and who make fun of religion. He has shown people who are so obsessed with worldly things that they allow the needy and the naked and the sick and the afflicted to pass by without being noticed. Moroni asks a soul-searching question of us, we who are living in these times, he says, Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? This indictment accurately describes the increasingly secular condition of the world. Joseph Smith Matthew indicates that in the last days even the very elect according to the covenant will be deceived. Those of the covenant include the girls, young women, and sisters of the Church who have been baptized and made covenants with their Heavenly Father. Even we are at risk of being deceived by false teachings. Sisters, I don't believe that conditions are going to improve going forward. If current trends are an indication, we need to be prepared for the storms that lie ahead. It would be easy to throw up our hands in despair, but as covenant people, we need never despair. As Elder Gary E. Stevenson has said, Heavenly Father's generous compensation for living in perilous times is that we also live in the fullness of times. I love the comfort of that statement. President Russell M. Nelson told us a year ago, Attacks against the Church, its doctrine, and our way of life are going to increase. Because of this, we need women who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ, and who will use that understanding to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. We need women who can detect deception in all of its forms. We need women who know how to access the power that God makes available to covenant keepers and who express their beliefs with confidence and charity. We need women who have the courage and vision of our Mother Eve." Close quote. This message reassures me that despite the conditions of our day, we have many reasons to rejoice and be optimistic. I believe with all of my heart that we sisters do have the innate strength and faith that will allow us to meet the challenges of living in these last days. Sister Sherry Dew has written, I believe that the moment we learn to unleash the full influence of converted, covenant-keeping women, the kingdom of God will change overnight. It will take concerted effort to be converted and to keep our covenants. To do so, we need to be girls and women who study the essential doctrines of the gospel and have an unshakable testimony of their truthfulness. There are three areas I believe are foundational to strong testimonies and that I consider to be essential to our understanding. First, We need to acknowledge the centrality of God, our Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, to our faith and salvation. Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. We need to study and understand His Atonement and how to apply it daily. Repentance is one of the greatest blessings each of us has to stay on course. We need to see Jesus Christ as our primary role model and the example of who we need to become. We need to continually teach our families and classes about our Father's great plan of salvation, which includes the doctrine of Christ. Second, we need to understand the need for the restoration of the doctrine, organization, and keys of authority in these latter days. We need to have a witness that the Prophet Joseph Smith was divinely chosen and appointed by the Lord to bring about this restoration and recognize that He organized the women of the Church after the organization that existed in Christ's Church anciently. And third, we need to study and understand temple ordinances and covenants. The temple holds a place at the very center of our most sacred beliefs, and the Lord asks that we attend, ponder, study, and find personal meaning and application individually. We will come to understand that through the ordinances of the temple the power of godliness is manifest in our lives, and that because of temple ordinances we can be armed with God's power, and His name will be upon us, His glory round about us, and His angels have charge over us. I wonder if we are fully drawing upon the power of those promises. Sisters, even the very youngest in this audience can rise up in faith and play a significant role in building the kingdom of God. Children begin gaining their own testimonies by reading or listening to the scriptures, praying daily, and partaking of the sacrament in a meaningful way. All children and young women can encourage family home evenings and be full participants. You can be the first one on your knees as your family gathers for family prayer. Even if your homes are less than ideal, Your personal examples of faithful gospel living can influence the lives of your family and friends. Young women of the Church need to see themselves as essential participants in the priesthood-directed work of salvation and not just as onlookers and supporters. You hold callings and are set apart by those holding priesthood keys to function as leaders with power and authority in this work. As you magnify your callings in class presidencies and prepare spiritually, counsel together, reach out to minister to your class members, and teach one another the gospel, you are taking your place in this work, and both you and your peers will be blessed. All women need to see themselves as essential participants in the work of the priesthood. Women in this Church are presidents, counselors, teachers, members of councils, Sisters and mothers and the kingdom of God cannot function unless we rise up and fulfill our duties with faith. Sometimes we just need to have a greater vision of what is possible. I recently met a sister in Mexico who understands what it means to magnify her calling with faith. Marfisa Maldonado was called to teach a youth Sunday school class three years ago. She had seven students attending when she was called but she now has 20 who attend regularly. I asked her in amazement what she had done to bring about such an increase in numbers. She modestly said, oh, it wasn't just me. All the class members helped. Together they saw the names of the less actives on the roll and began to go out together and invite them to come back to Church. They have also had a baptism because of their efforts. Sister Maldonado set up a social media site just for her class members called I Am a Child of God, and she posts inspirational thoughts and scriptures several times a week. She regularly texts her students with assignments and encouragement. She feels it is important to communicate in the ways they best relate to, and it is working. She told me simply, I love my students. I could feel that love as she told me of their efforts And her example reminded me of what one person of faith and action can accomplish in this work with the help of the Lord. Our youth are being exposed to difficult questions on a daily basis, and many of us have loved ones who are struggling to find answers. The good news is there are answers to the questions being asked. Listen to the recent messages from our leaders. We are being urged to study and understand our Heavenly Father's plan of happiness We have been reminded of the principles in the family proclamation. We are encouraged to teach and use these resources as the measuring sticks to keep us on the straight and narrow path. About a year ago, I visited with a mother of young children who decided to take a proactive approach to inoculating her children against the many negative influences they were being exposed to online and at school. She chooses a topic each week often one that has generated a lot of discussion online. And she initiates meaningful discussions during the week when her children can ask questions and she can make sure they're getting a balanced and fair perspective on the often difficult issues. She is making her home a safe place to raise questions and have meaningful gospel instruction. I worry that we live in such an atmosphere of avoiding offense that we sometimes altogether avoid teaching correct principles. We fail to teach our young women that preparing to be a mother is of utmost importance because we don't want to offend those who aren't married, those who can't have children, or to be seen as stifling future choices. On the other hand, we may also fail to emphasize the importance of education because we don't want to send the message that it is more important than marriage. We avoid declaring that our Heavenly Father defines marriage as being between a man and a woman because we don't want to offend those who experience same-sex attraction. And we may find it uncomfortable to discuss gender issues or healthy sexuality. Certainly, sisters, we need to use sensitivity. But let us also use our common sense and our understanding of the plan of salvation to be bold and straightforward when it comes to teaching our children and youth the essential gospel principles they must understand to navigate the world in which they live. If we don't teach our children and youth true doctrine and teach it clearly, the world will teach them Satan's lies. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am eternally grateful for the direction, power, and daily help I receive as a covenant daughter of God. I testify that the Lord has blessed us as women who live in these perilous times with all of the power, gifts, and strength that are needed in order to prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we may all see our true potential to rise up to become the women of faith and courage our Father in Heaven needs us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
3: One of the most rewarding opportunities is to travel from my, and learn from my sisters throughout the world. There's nothing like being arm-in-arm, face-to-face, and heart-to-heart heart with you. During one such experience, a Relief Society leader asked, Is there something specific that women should focus on? I answered, Yes, as President Russell M. Nelson's talk, A Plea to My Sisters, entered my mind. President Nelson taught, we need women who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ. Nephi described the doctrine of Christ this way, For the gate by which he should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And now I would ask, if all is done, behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshakable faith in Him, relying wholly upon the merits of Him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, Behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. This is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. Why do we need a bedrock understanding of these principles? I often meet Latter-day Saint women who are desperate for help, yet they do not turn to the One who can provide everlasting help. Too often they seek for understanding, searching the great and spacious building. As we increase our understanding of the doctrine of Christ, we soon discover that we are developing a deeper understanding of the great plan of happiness. We also recognize that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is at the very heart of the plan. When we learn how to apply the doctrine of Christ to our individual circumstances, our love for our Savior grows, and we recognize that regardless of perceived differences, all of us are in need of the same infinite Atonement. We realize that He is our foundation, the rock of our Redeemer, a sure foundation whereon, if we build, we cannot fall. How can this doctrine bless us as we seek peace and understanding and strive to enter joyfully in our unique mortal journeys. May I suggest that we begin where Nephi begin, as Nephi says, with unshaken faith in Christ, relying wholly upon the merits of Him who is mighty to save. Our faith in Jesus Christ enables us to meet any challenge. We, in fact, often find our faith deepened and our relationship with Heavenly Father and His Son refined in adversity. Let me share three examples. First, the Savior, the Master Healer, has power to change our hearts and give us permanent relief from the sorrow caused by our own sins. When the Savior taught the Samaritan woman at the well, He knew about her serious sins. However, the Lord looketh on the heart, and He knew she had a teachable heart. When the woman came to the well, Jesus, the embodiment of living water, said simply, Give me to drink. Our Savior will likewise speak to us in a voice we recognize when we come to Him, for He knows us. He meets us where we are, and because of who He is and what He has done for us, He understands because He has experienced our pain. He can give us living water when we seek it. He taught this to the Samaritan woman when he said, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Finally, understanding the woman responded in faith and asked, Sir, Give me this water that I thirst not. After the Samaritan woman had this experience with the Savior, she left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She had received a witness. She had begun to partake of the living water, and she desired to witness of His divinity to others when we come to Him with humble and teachable hearts. Even if our hearts are heavy with mistakes, sins, and transgressions, He can change us, for He is mighty to save. And with hearts changed, we can, like the Samaritan woman, go into our own cities, our homes, schools, and workplaces to witness of Him. Second, the Master Healer can comfort and strengthen us when we experience pain because of the unrighteous actions of others. I have had many conversations with women weighed down under heavy burdens. Their covenant path from the temple has become a difficult journey of healing. They suffer from broken covenants, broken hearts, and lost confidence. Many are victims of adultery and verbal, sexual, and emotional abuse, often the result of other people's addictions. These experiences, though no fault of their own, have left many feeling guilty and ashamed. Not understanding how to manage the powerful emotions they experience, many try to bury them, pushing them deeper into themselves. Hope and healing are not found in the dark abyss of secrecy, but in the light and love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Elder Richard G. Scott counseled, If if you are free from serious sin yourself, don't suffer needlessly the consequences of another's sins. You can feel compassion, yet you should not take upon yourself a feeling of responsibility. When you have done what is reasonable to help one you love, lay the burden at the feet of the Savior. As you so act, not only will you find peace, but will demonstrate your faith in the power of the Savior to lift the burden of sin— from a loved one, through his repentance and obedience. He continued, Complete healing will come through your faith in Jesus Christ and His power and capacity through His Atonement to heal the scars of that which is unjust and undeserved. If you find yourself in this situation, sisters, healing may be a long process. It will require that you prayerfully seek guidance and appropriate help, including counseling with properly ordained priesthood holders, as you learn to communicate openly, set appropriate boundaries, and perhaps seek some professional counseling. Maintaining spiritual help throughout the process is vital. Remember your divine identity. You are a beloved daughter of Heavenly Parents, Trust your Father's eternal plan for you. Continue daily to increase your understanding of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Exercise faith each day to drink deeply from the Savior's well of living water. Rely on the endowment of power made available to each of us through ordinances and covenants. And allow the healing power of the Savior and His Atonement into your life. Third, The Master Healer can comfort and sustain us as we experience painful realities of mortality, such as disaster, mental illness, disease, chronic pain, and even death. I have recently become acquainted with a remarkable young woman named Josie. Josie suffers from bipolar disorder, Here is just a little of her journey toward healing as she shared it with me. And I quote, The worst of the darkness occurs in what my family and I have deemed floor days. It begins with a sensory overload and acute sensitivity and resistance to any type of sound, touch, or light. It is the apex of mental anguish. There is one day in particular I will never forget. It was early in the journey, making the experience especially frightening. I can remember sobbing, tears racing down my face as I gasped for air. But even as, I saw, even as such intense suffering paled in comparison to the pain that, that followed as I observed the panic overwhelm my mother so desperate to help me, With my broken mind came her broken heart. But little did we know that despite the deepening darkness, we were just moments away from experiencing a mighty miracle. As the long hour continued, my mom whispered over and over and over again, I would do anything to take this from you. Meanwhile, the darkness intensified. And when I was convinced I could take no more, just then something marvelous occurred. A transcendent and wonderful power suddenly overtook my body. Then, with a strength beyond my own, I declared to my mom with great conviction seven life-changing words in response to her repeated desire to bear my pain. I said, You don't have to. Someone already has— From a dark abyss of debilitating mental illness, Josie summoned the strength to testify of Jesus Christ and of His Atonement. She was not healed completely that day, but she received the light of hope in a time of intense darkness. And today, supported by a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ and refreshed daily, By the Savior's living water, Josie continues on her journey toward healing and exercises unshakable faith in the Master Healer. She helps others along the way, and she says, When the darkness feels unremitting, I rely on the memory of His tender mercies. They serve as a guiding light as I navigate through hard times. Sisters, I testify— that you don't have to continue to carry the burden of sorrow caused by sin alone. You don't have to carry the pain caused by the unrighteous actions of others alone. You don't have to experience the painful realities of mortality alone. He pleads, Will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended toward you, and whosoever will come will I receive. He would do anything to take this from you. In fact, He already has. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Master Healer, amen.